Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Still, the women's ministry podcast of Christ Church of Oak Brook. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I am on staff here at the church and I have the pleasure of being the host of this podcast. Here at Deeper Still, we are all about cutting through the chaotic and the mundane to pay attention to what God is doing. We want to hear His voice in our lives and go deeper still in our relationship with Him and with one another. And as always, I'm so glad you're here. I am also so excited for today's episode because I have the privilege of welcoming someone who has been a longtime mentor, a friend, an influential voice in my own life. She wrote the foreword to my book, The Sound of a Million Dreams, and I know she has been a beloved person in some of your lives as well. She is the one, the only, the Reverend Adele Calhoun. Adele is currently the pastor of spiritual formation at High Rock Church in Arlington, Massachusetts. She has served as a pastor in several local churches in Boston and here in Chicago, including serving right here at Christ Church of Oak Brook for more than a decade. Adele has taught courses at Wheaton College and Northern Baptist Theological Seminary. She is the author of four really amazing books and a trained spiritual director. Adele currently leads spiritual pilgrimages. She writes icons, she speaks at retreats, she teaches the Enneagram, and she enjoys painting. She is clearly a woman of many talents, and she is a wise and deep soul. Today, we are going to cover a variety of topics in this conversation, including how our lives can be better reflections of Jesus, uh, how can we can approach difficult conversations with grace, and of course, we touch on the Enneagram, and we talk about her latest book, Spiritual Rhythms for the Enneagram, a handbook for harmony and transformation. Uh, this is a deep conversation today. We get pretty theological at some points. We laugh a lot, and so hang in there with us. Saddle up, settle in, listen in as Adele and I go deeper still. Well, Adele, welcome to Deeper Still. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have you here with us today. Well, I am glad to be with you, Sue Ann. Well, it's just been such a joy to even spend a few minutes just catching up with you before we officially hit the record button. And um, I'm just thinking there are probably people right now out there listening, both men and women, who um, heard that you were going to be on today and who are now going to hear the sound of your voice and are jumping for joy because you were just (laughs) such a... (laughs) You know they are, Adele. You know they are out there just... having a moment mm-hmm. to reconnect with you. Mm-hmm. But you uh, you were just such a beloved part of our staff here at Christ Church. And uh, I was trying to think you've been gone for probably, t- how many years have you been gone? Well, we left in 2008. No. Okay. We left in 2000, we left, yeah, we left Christ Church in 2008. Wow. Has it really been that long? Mm-hmm. Wow. And you were on staff here for 10 or 11? 13 years. years. 13 years. All right. So, you know, 13 years. And so I'm thinking for all those people who are wondering what you've been doing since 2008, um, you and Doug went to uh, start a new chapter in your journey in uh, outside of Boston to co-pastor a church. And I'm wondering if you can just give us a little, give us a little update on what the last uh, 15 years of your life have, have looked like. <laughs> wow. Well, um, we were 
contacted by a, a church in Boston area in 2007 who were like, we want you to come be our co-senior pastors. And it was a church that, including children, had 60 people. And we were mm-hmm. like, we would be the first pastors. And we're like, no, we don't know anything about church planting. And we know that it's a thing. We don't know anything like zero. We've only been in large churches. And really, you're going to hire two people when you're like 30 adults and 30 children. How do you do that? And they said, and we'll pay you more than you make at Christchurch. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, we said, basically, I said no. And I told Doug, there's no way we're going to do this unless God makes it very clear. And long story sh- short, there were there were several discernment groups but I had three dreams and, and the dreams made it very clear we should go. Mm. So I think God knew that I needed something to move me that direction. It's, it's not the normal career path people <laughs> take. <laughs> but we went to this lovely community in the western suburbs of Boston that were very um, eager to go deep with God, and they were very engaged in the um, life of faith in their workplaces and were, you know, just high-powered, awesome people. And we spent 24 hours with them, and I said, well, I guess we have to pray about actually coming (laughs) out here. So, So we were their senior pastors. Until wow. uh, 2000, December of 2017. And then um, we went to High Rock Covenant Church in 2018, January, two, two weeks after we left to be the co-pastors of spiritual formation for the High Rock Church Network in Boston. And basically what we did was work with the staff. We did spiritual direction with staff. We offered retreats. We also worked with uh, lay people who who um, are called spiritual guides and at High Rock, in order to vote at an annual meeting or any church meeting, you have to have had a spiritual conversation with a spiritual guide, somebody trained to ask you questions about your walk with God. Hmm. So we worked with and trained that group of people. Wow. That's a really unique approach. It It is, and it has... It was a it was a lovely thing to witness and watch the power of mm. what a spiritual conversation could do. It's sort of spiritual direction light, I would say. Okay. Um, but we we really enjoyed it, and we trained somebody to take over for us, and so they're taking over. And um, we are co pastors of a spiritual formation at High Rock until tomorrow, our last day. <laughs> I think that's amazing. Tomorrow <laughs> is your last day. And then we'll, ju- then we'll just do direction for staff, but no, no meetings, no commuting. Oh. <laughs> you imagine, I, well, you can't imagine because you're about to do it. But when you get to a place in your life where you don't have to go to any more meetings, you don't have to return any more emails if you don't want to you we said you know no more preaching which that is a whole nother ball of wax it's like I think all of us have this love-hate relationship with preaching because Mm -hmm. we love it and it's so anxiety producing at the same Mm -hmm. time 
Yep. We'll do it if we're asked, you know, but we'll do it for what we get paid when we do it. Yes. But not, there won't be any regularity to it. So uh, no, all that mantle of responsibility. We just love seeing all the young staff, you know, flourish and we'll help them. We'll encourage them. We'll direct them. Go for it. You've got this. You can do it. Yay, you. <laughs> you. You do it. That's right. This is on you. It's your yeah. turn. Step wow. up. Oh, my gosh. I love it. So how are you feeling on your last day today? Like, is this just a, is it bittersweet? Are you just excited? Well, it's not so bittersweet because we'll see them. Yeah. You know, we will be doing direction with them. Um, so we've contracted to do the direction with this, the staff but only 10 months a year. So July and August, nothing. Hmm. So that feels, that's what's going to feel good. Come um, yeah. <laughs> July 1st, we start with like, okay, vacation, rest. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. You guys Thank have worked you. so hard. You have invested you. and sacrificed so much into the lives of others. So, and I know you guys are can continue to do that in this next journey, but you know, just in a different way. So, yeah. uh, well, I feel like this is like, a um, like, uh, you're announcing it to our audience today. <laughs> you know, like, what a privilege that we get to be with you. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, Adele, it's, you know, it's a treat for me to have you here today. Just, I, I, I'm a reflective person anyway, but I get in these reflective moments where I just think you have been talk about investing into people and sacrificing for them. You came into my life at such a formative time for me um, when Eric and I first moved here to Christchurch and I was kind of searching for what I wanted to be when I grow up. And you just spoke to my life and uh, spoke into my life at such a formative time and in such a powerful way. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. But I'm just, this is such an honor for me. I just want to say that out loud. It's such an honor for me to just have you here. And, and um, I'm excited for other people to just soak in what you have to say. But for me to be sitting here with you doing this, um, it's just, it's kind of a, a cool Holy Spirit moment for me. So I just want to acknowledge that and say thank you for investing into me as one of those people along your journey. And I would say the same thing back at you because you were always prepared ground. It's like throw seed at Suan and poof, it grows. <laughs> <laughs> and so to do that with you was a real joy. Mm, well, it was it was such a blessing. And so when I asked you, um, you were on my short list of people I wanted to make sure I had on this summer. And when I reached out to invite you here today, you know, I said, what, what's on your mind that you want to chat about? What is God doing in your heart and your life? And you said two things that I, I just love these two answers. You said, first of all, you said, currently, the subject that most has my attention is how we understand our lives is mirroring the life of Jesus. That was the first thing you said. And secondly, you said how we find ourselves in the story of Jesus and live in solidarity with him. And I read that email. I thought, wow, those are two really deep concepts, <laughs> really, really deep things to talk about. But there's so much in there. And as I started to 
kind of even um, in preparation for our conversation today, dig through that. I thought, wow, this is this is going to be a great conversation. And so I'm wondering, let's just dive in here. So you say how we understand our lives is mirroring the life of Jesus. What does that mean? So I talk to lots of people who, for one reason or another, feel God let them down. You know, why is this happening to me? Why didn't my kid get into the school of his choice? Why uh, is work going like this? Why did I get fired? Why did, you know, why, why, why? So there's all that. And then there's anger and there's a a lack of understanding um, of, of what Jesus really calls us to and this sense that I must not be good enough or God would bless me in some way. Mm. And I just feel like what in our teaching has gone amok that so many people I would look at as mature, long-term followers of Jesus have such a hard time when things get tough. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's not that they aren't tough. You know, I would never deny that people were having horrible things happen. And for me, it's like, if you if you haven't framed your life within an arc that represents what it what happened to Jesus you won't understand Hmm. so if for instance your family thinks you're crazy because you're a believer or lets you down or just thinks you're just plum crazy for what you think about politics or whatever well Jesus family thought he was crazy Hmm. literally you know you're crazy come home with us or if you've ever had a moment when the spirit descended on you and you felt anointed for a call, Jesus had that. And if you ever felt like I'm anointed for this call and I can't do it for some reason, Jesus had that. Mm. And so what I decided to do um, this Lent was to go through the four gospels, not to look at Jesus teaching. I feel like there's worlds of, books about Jesus teaching and sermons about Jesus teaching. And I bought a new Bible with big margins and I'm looking at Jesus reactions to the people and events that happened to him Hmm. to say it is his human life and how he lived it. That shows us what it is to follow God's will. Hmm. And it has been such a rich thing for me to be doing. (laughs) I just, I love it. I feel like I can, Jesus was slandered. What do I do when people slander me? You know, he stood before Caiaphas and Herod and Pilate and he held his own counsel. He Mm -hmm. held their pain. He held their mockery. He held abuse. He held all these things and he didn't give back in kind ever. He never gave back in kind. You know, not hatred for hatred, not scorn for scorn, not mocking for mocking, not cynicism for cynicism. No, he could give out pure living water. And I feel like if only somehow we could sort of put ourselves in Jesus' shoes and when something awful happens, say, this is the point where I'm actually in solidarity with Jesus. Mm. my suffering is in solidarity. And then Paul says someplace, 
we fill up the cup of Christ's suffering. I don't know what that means, but I think there is a solidarity there that is has some divine eternal peace going on and fellowshipping in his suffering. So that's that's what I'm thinking about these days. <laughs> that's some good stuff to be thinking about. That I, I love that God just um, directed you there to start exploring the scriptures and you've been you know, you've been a pastor and a believer for a long time. And yet, isn't it amazing that when we come to the scriptures with a new lens, um, what is revealed to us that maybe we have not seen before? It's unbelievable right. how that happens. Totally. Yeah. I feel like so, I'm reading a different book. <laughs> wow. So what has surprised you about that? What has surprised me? Oh, Here's here's my brand new Bible. <laughs> oh, I wish everyone could see it because it's beautiful. With the big wide margins. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, one of the things, so I'm in Matthew. I started in John, went to Mark, did Luke, and now I'm in Matthew. And just today, uh, I read a couple chapters. And one of the things that I noticed, and I, I've known this in particular, but not in collective, how many times... In interactions with people, Jesus touches them. Mm. In a society where men didn't touch, where rabbis were aloof, were holy people, were people that kept a distance. And it's not just women he touched, but he touches women. He touches unclean people. He touches um, people's eyes. He touches their hands. You know, he holds children and just what does the whole physicality of of uh, of Jesus life on earth physically touching people, I think is just begs the question, how do we look at touch and how do we use touch in our lives and what does it convey to others? Mm. That's beautiful. You know, it's interesting. We just had a preaching team meeting not long ago to talk about topics for, you know, the upcoming year. And one of the things that came up was this idea of our physicality and how often we separate our physicality from our spirituality. And, and we, we, those are like two dual things and we don't realize how interrelated they are and that it's a theological conversation about these two things being intertwined. But even as I just had that conversation and I'm listening to you right now, it's interesting. We don't think about Jesus physicality in that way. I think about my own physicality, but do I actually look at the scripture and see exactly what you're just saying, how much Jesus used his body and ministry to people? Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm. I, I love this thing. This was something that I read today too. So Jesus, you know, when he heal, healed demon-oppressed people at one point, so you can say, well, he, he healed people. But the more interesting thing is that all the religious people didn't like what he was doing, and so they accused him of casting out demons by the prince of Satan. And I thought, so Jesus was accused by the religious establishment that he belonged to. He was considered a heretic, but not just mm -hmm. a heretic. He was considered that his power came from a, a demonic source 
And if you've ever been sort of crucified by a church, and we know a lot of people in ministry who mm. have been crucified by their churches, and that shouldn't surprise us. We all get many crucifixions that happen to Jesus. It'll happen to us. Mm. And Jesus had had was slandered and, you know, his whole everything he'd done that's good. I mean, he healed somebody, was twisted into something bad. And so even for people who are in a place where they feel like the body of Christ let me down or the body of Christ hurt me, the body of Christ did the X, Y, or Z to me to be able to say, well, have they have they yet said that everything I did came from a demon? Maybe not, <laughs> you know. But Jesus had that. He he. So much of our life is being played out, and I think especially of people in ministry because they're the people I've worked with the most. If you're following Jesus, it should not surprise you. In fact, it should be how will my life mm. end up looking like Jesus' life because I follow Him? Mm. How will I get become popular and have people turn on me? How will I have crowds think I'm wonderful and then try to push me off a cliff? How will they feel if I quote something out of context or don't include the whole context, which Jesus did? And that's when they tried to push him off a hill. Or if I say something that's racist or call somebody and, you know, Jesus said some pretty remarkable things that had some big reactions for to people. I just think... Mm. Let's look at those things. That's very interesting yeah. to me. It, it is very interesting. Well, and I'm going to go back to something that you said at the beginning of the conversation. So when we read those things, and then, um, as you said, when we have experiences of our own life where we're disappointed, where we're hurt, where um, some of these examples that you just used happen to us, and you say, we're surprised that it happened. How could this happen? Why could this happen? Why do you think it is that, that, that we are surprised? I think that we haven't, uh, probably two things. We don't have enough people modeling, just living, who aren't surprised, you know, mm-hmm. who are models to us. And two, I think that um, there is, even in the not health and wealth gospel, but there is this sense of if I'm a good person, most of us think we shouldn't have to be crucified. We shouldn't have to have these horrible things happen to us. That, And we wouldn't say that our goodness uh, achieves anything in terms of salvation, but it's this sense that Jesus came to give us an abundant life. And mm-hmm. Sue Ann has an abundant life, so why am I not having an abundant life? Is Sue Ann a favorite? And I'm not. And mm-hmm. I feel like we, we teach abundant life. Jesus came and said, you will have life abundant. And we forget that he said, you know, abundant life comes through abundant death. <laughs> Who wants to hear that? Mm-hmm. And yet that's the way it happens. And out of the most painful things in my life has have come out of being in the tomb, out of standing before Caiaphas, and slanderers out of um, having betrayal. People betray me and say, to has come resurrection and life. Amen. And I could hang on to the pain or I could be take that pain and be in solidarity with Jesus and say, you know what? I understand at least a tiny, 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 tiny little bit what you felt. Mm. 
And I know you understand what I felt. And I don't know how this connects in any way, but I want you to know I've got your back and I feel for you. And I feel in my life for you Mm. and what you went through. You know, as you're talking, it's dawning on me that I think part of where we get this wrong is our definitions of what it means to have abundance, what it means, <laughs> what it even means for God to be good. I think even, even that piece, when we think, you know, we say, um, you know, I know I have the plans I have for you, you know, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, Jeremiah. And we say, well, you know, our definition, especially in our Western evangelical white churches, our definition of what that means looks like maybe sometimes a happy little life in, in the suburbs or when God says, you know, I, I, when the Bible says it works, um, God works all things together for your good. Well, what is that for who's good for what is good? And so I think our definitions of what it means for God to be good, um, it, it starts to, we have some distorted um, views of some of those things. And sometimes we think what it means for God to be good is we have good lives. That's right. I think you're exactly right. And we all know that good parents um, can be to their children's eyes, in their children's eyes, not good parents. Yes. So I I understand, you know, when we have a expectation that we want or freedom we want or something how how easy it is to feel like something's wrong with us or something's wrong with God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm wondering, so if we, and I know we have a short amount of time to talk about something very deep. So of course, um, you know, we're not going to come up with all the solutions to this, but if we can in, intellectually understand it, if, if we can start to participate in the story, as you say, to stand in solidarity with Jesus, to understand some of these things, if we get to that point of understanding it more, what do we do with that? How do we let it transform us? So I think about if if something bad happened to you and I was close enough to come and sit with you and talk to you about what you were feeling and what was happening, that would be a privilege for me to be in solidarity with you and what is going on in your life. And I feel like when we put ourselves in the story, the big story, it's it's almost like Jesus is inviting us to be with him in his story and say, you know, you can be with me in the Garden of Gethsemane when I am an extremist and asking God for an 11th hour rescue because 11th hour rescues happened for Israel, for Moses, for Abram, they're, they're there. And so he was praying within a context of scripture that allowed for this. So it's like, let me be in solidarity with you. You know, Adele, as I'm listening to you, I, I, I can't help but layer on top of what you're saying this last year we've been in and, and walking through pandemic life with um, 
maybe some more of these questions swirling around us than we normally would not walking through pandemic life. Some of these why questions, some of these questions that we're pondering about our lives. Um, you know, I mean, thinking of for my own experience through the pandemic, um, one of the things that's been so difficult is, um, having difficult conversations with people mm-hmm. about so many different kinds of things in a way that I never have had to before mm-hmm. politics, race, masks, vaccines, uh, you name it. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I am realizing is, is how often in these conversations, and these are people I love dearly. I've never had difficult conversations with some of these people and we have been in turmoil surrounding some of these conversations. And, and um, I wouldn't have put the words to it like you are with what it means to be in solidarity with Jesus. But when we talk about his story and look at, and putting ourselves in the larger narrative of scripture, I realized part of my part of the the tension around some of these conversations is how many people and I, and I've had to check my own my own narratives as well. We let our politics um, shape our story. We let our politics shape what we think should happen or how we should be standing in solidarity with Jesus instead of letting the life of Jesus shape how we are standing in solidarity with Jesus. And I'm just wondering as you're um, talking through this, and I'm kind of thinking out loud as I'm I'm talking right now, but as you take everything that you just said and lay the pandemic over top of that, and I'm, I'm just wondering how that even calls us into a deeper place of needing to stand in solidarity with Jesus and enter his story into a new way. Does that question even make sense? <laughs> uh, yes, it it does. And it's a great question, Sue Ann. And it's funny, this morning I was, um, you know, I was working with the Enneagram and I thought I'm going to go through each number and talk about what does a safe conversation with each number look like? You know, what is it? What does an eight when they're in a good space and health look like when they're conversing? What do they look like? when they're not in a healthy space, when they're conversing and what do they, what would a safe conversation look like? And each number has a little bit different take on what's important in a conversation. And so I feel like I'm just, I'm just exploring that right now. I haven't even gotten very far, but I think it's since that is a major question that people are asking, how do we have safe conversations, good conversations that don't end up hurting people and hurting us. So I just want to say it's going to look different. There's not, it's a nuanced answer because for some people, the thing they care about, so let's just take a six, is going to be orthodoxy, correctness, rightness, truth. And if you, if, if you aren't in line with their truth, there's going to be suspicious and not trusting. And that's just their default. So there's something, when I understand that, I think, how, how do I become a person they can trust? Mm. And is trust simply, um, like I've, I've had so many, I've talked to so many pastors, I'm sure you have too, you know, that this has been the hardest year of ministry they've ever had, yes. ever. And whatever they say in the pulpit is not enough for one side and too much for the other. Yes. And people walk out the door on both sides 
And yeah. it's just been awful. And I think Jesus had this in his life. He, he had people who had a narrative about what the Messiah looked like. And it was a political narrative that had a political goal. And Jesus did not fit that narrative. And he was constantly, his whole ministry, entire ministry, in conversation with people who held a different narrative about who he was or who the Messiah would be. And they could get very mean. Like I said, you know, you're of the devil. If you don't think like us, yes. if you're not part of our group, you're demonic. You do good works through the power of Satan. That that narrative, he came up against that. And I feel like why he said so often, do you have ears to hear and eyes to see, is that if people don't have ears to hear and eyes to see, Jesus knew they, they would take anything he said and just twist it and use it against him and wouldn't listen. And he was constantly looking for people. And when I, what, I, what I think when do you have ears to hear and eyes to see is, can you see any narrative besides your own? Mm. That is a great question. That might be the question of 2020 or 2021, you know, uh, because I do think it has been, you know, and you don't have to be a pastor to understand this. I mean, I think we have all experienced this. I was just out for a walk with a young mom and she was, I mean, she, she was almost saying verbatim um, what I have experienced over the last year. And we hadn't talked about it at all. And I was listening to her share about these difficult conversations she has had to have in her family life. And I was listening to her heart crying out to say, you know what, I just want to follow the way of Jesus. And I know sometimes that's easier said than done, but like really trying to let her faith inform what she's thinking, how she's having this conversation, mm -hmm. how she is voting, all of these things. And it's not just politics, it's all of it. But, um, and her just feeling so discouraged because she feels like she had been at war with so many people in her life. And I said, I feel I've never felt so much tension with mm -hmm. people. And I think what you're saying is so helpful as we participate in the story, as we stand with Jesus. I never before thought of the fact that people disagreed with him on every level. He was too much for some people, not enough for other people. And, and I'm just even to sit in reflection on that and say, there's nothing that Jesus has, that we are walking through that Jesus doesn't understand. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. And for us to have those eyes to see and see things from a different perspective than our own. That's a challenging, I mean, that's a, that's a formational issue. It really is. And it's a question I ask myself a lot. And it is the question of, Am I continuing to be curious and open to new ways of looking at my faith? Or have have I made a box that I'm inside of and that mm -hmm. this that has uh oh the truth is all inside this box and everything outside is error? Because people felt like Jesus took liberties with the Hebrew scripture, reinterpreted it in ways they didn't like, they didn't think were orthodox. Um, and I think, what if we interpreted scripture like Jesus did? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> 
So what would you tell someone who's listening right now that maybe is feeling like, you know what, I I need to get better at that, or I want to challenge myself. I think we all need to, but if they're listening right now, what's a good first step? What would you tell them to do? Where would they start? Well, I think in any conversation with somebody who differs from us, being curious is a great place to start. Say more about that and to to speak back to them. So this is what I hear you're saying. Is do do I understand what I hear you're saying? And if if you can articulate it well without energy and they can say yes, this is it, then that gives us several opportunities to say, well, I think I have a different perspective than you or you know, that that doesn't necessarily work for me in my life or whatever um and I have some phrases that I use that I feel are give me things to say that aren't just reactionary. And the, the thing about Jesus is, I mean, Jesus did overturn the tables. I mean, there are times you see his anger in a very disciplined way, but often he is not reactive. He can hold the tension in the room. He can hold the pain in the room. He can hold the anger in the room and he can still speak truthfully and freely. And I think, can I, am I, so I can, I can give an example maybe that's not quite as, um, as in the moment, but several years ago, I went to a justice conference and Mm -hmm. a lot of it was around gender justice and it was in Boston and at a big hotel and, at one point it, at this conference, a, a, a woman of color was standing up talking about the injustice she had experienced. And she was very emotional. And what she said um, had a lot of pain in it, but also sort of, this is what men have done to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And after she sat down, uh, a man stood up and said, Uh, This is why I don't like to come to things like this, because I am not one of those men. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I get lumped with every man who's ever done something wrong. And I I don't want to sit here and listen to it. And I thought, okay, you know, I get that. And I, after he sat down, I raised my hand and I said, you know, can you just sit in this room and hold the pain? Because that's Mm. all you need to do to be doing something for this woman right now. Mm. Can you just sit and hold the pain and be in solidarity with what's happened to her rather than make it about you? I don't like what you're saying. I love that you did that. Oh, my goodness. What an amazing moment. What was his response? Well, every time I've seen him since, he always brings it (laughs) up. He has not forgotten about that moment. He has not forgotten that moment. <laughs> did it challenge him? Did it change it, him? It, or it he challenged just, he, him. did he not get it? No, I think he did get it. He's a very thoughtful, wise person. And I was, I was, I wouldn't have said it if I hadn't known him. I felt like because mm. I, it wasn't somebody I knew well, but I know, I know him well enough to, to know that he's thoughtful and he's not reactionary. And he was speaking of his own pain 
at being lumped. But Jesus could hold his pain. He had pain when people slandered him and said bad things about him. He held his pain and he held theirs. Wow. Their anger, their fear that what he was doing was going to undermine the whole system that was in place. He could hold both. And so to me, part of the invitation through COVID is to be able to hold the pain of the people who think differently than me because they are afraid and have pain just as I'm afraid and have pain. And we have different narratives that are running about what that pain and that fear is about concerning our country. And I also think, so So I think there's a way of being curious and trying to understand and even and saying, do you want to know what I think? Or to say, I mean, I have people in my family that, you know, were on different pages and who constantly want to get into the weeds and the weeds don't help any of us in terms of being that you know it just escalates and gets way too hot too fast and so part of it is just saying you know i'm i don't think that this is i'm putting a boundary it's not healthy for me to talk about this Mm. because i am not good at holding your pain in my pain or whatever, you know, and so I, I don't talk about you, I talk about me and what is good for me. That's all I can do. Yeah. Those are some really good tangible handles, because we've all been in those situations where conversations get heated. And I love that, you know, don't react, respond, like, what does it look like not to be reactionary? And we live in a world today where reaction is I mean, everybody's reacting to everything everywhere. We see it everywhere. And so that is being modeled for us in one sense of of the world and in many circles that we're living in, whether it's social media or the, you know, news we're watching or even in conversations with, with others. And it's just, again, it goes back to what we've been talking about, this reminder that then what's the way of Jesus? What does Jesus model? It's like, you know, the Sunday school answer where we all come back to, well, what did Jesus do? It sounds so cliche. And yet at the same time, it's just this reminder of why we need to continually immerse ourselves in the life of of what Christ did in the scriptures and understand the story, take the time. We can spend a lifetime understanding the story and seeing it from different angles and different pieces. But that practice and discipline of going back there and when life feels out of control and we live through a year like we just lived through and, you know, or we're in spaces where, you know, we don't understand why. And we're asking those questions. This life is not turning out the way that I thought it would, that we continually come back to the story (laughs) and the model of Jesus. Oh my goodness. It's such a good reminder. And I feel like we always need reminded of it. You know, it is, it is, crazy to me that no matter how long we walk through this life as believers, um, we need to, we got to center ourselves. We need to be reminded to come back to what is true, who we know God is, who we know we are, what the story is. And, and I do think that there are a lot more arguments. This, this could be wrong. I'll just try it out on you. Um, (laughs) I mean, people argued about truth in Jesus day all the time. And he had lots of 
interactions with people who were testing him to find out if he was orthodox or heterodox. So he's constantly, you know, there are people during COVID who are testing you, you know, what do you believe? And well, and what is your theology? And, you know, all of the things that are involved with race and gender and justice. And so I feel like it's, it's easier to argue about truth than argue about what Jesus did, about the events that happened. Mm. And this is what happened. I mean, did the insurrection on January 6th actually happen? We are arguing about what, that's a very different place to be than to be saying, uh, what do you believe about the things that happened? And so mm. I just wonder if going back to the story of what happened, rather than just, I don't think anybody gets anywhere when they start lobbing scriptures at each other from right. different perspectives and different um, angles and feeling like they each have the whole story. That's just like descending into hell for me. It's like, what do we, what do we think is going to happen here? Right. Are we right. just going to yell at each other so that yes. you, rather than say, okay, so, so help me understand how you see. Yes. It. Yes. That's such a good reminder. I think all of us just need, need that and need to continually move in that direction of help me understand, humble ourselves before each other and listen well um, and hold each other's pain. Those are good words. Well, and I what's think, funny, you're laughing. <laughs> I'm just thinking as you were saying that, you know, I feel like my own walk with Jesus is just a whole series of humiliations one after another. <laughs> <laughs> and why did we think that it wouldn't be? That makes uh, total sense to me that I would be humiliated about the things I say and humiliated about the way I re react and you know, all these little humiliations that give me opportunity to transform. <laughs> Is that how we're supposed to look at humiliation as an opportunity to, spoken like a true spiritual director? That's an opportunity to transform. That's true. Well, Adele, I want to um, switch gears for a minute. That's such deep, rich conversation. But I, I want to take a minute because we're, I can't believe we're already running out of time. Um, but I want to take a minute and and talk about your latest book. So you are the author of four beautiful books. Um, which we mentioned at the top of the podcast, and I will tell people how to get to those uh, when we finish. But um, you wrote a book in 2019 called Spiritual Rhythms for the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And we are big fans of the Enneagram here at Deeper Still. We talk about the Enneagram a lot. There's people listening who have um, probably have varying levels of understanding of what that is and what that means. But we're actually going to do an overview of the Enneagram um, in a couple of weeks. I was I was laughing with you before we came on air because mm -hmm. I said um, my colleague, Eric Haskins, who is our pastor of spiritual formation here, uh, is going to do an overview of the Enneagram. And he's on next. And when he found out you were the guest before him, he said, man, seriously, you're going to have me come on and talk about the Enneagram before, <laughs> right after Adele, because Adele is the guru of all things Enneagram. So would love for you to just take a few minutes and speak into, maybe just give a really high level for those listening who, are, who have no idea what the Enneagram is, uh, give a really high level explanation of that. And then talk a little bit about some of the practical tools that they will find in this book. 
So the Enneagram is a, a tool for transformation. That's the simplest way I know to talk about it. Um, I've done a, a study on uh, Myers-Briggs, DISC, Strength Finder, Gorek, a number of personality profile uh, assessments. And the only one that really claims to be a transformative tool is the Enneagram. Mm. And uh, it's transformative because it helps you see how there is a part of you that you're blind to, but that uh, is automatic and just happens and, and people see it. You don't see it, but they experience it when they're on the other side of you. And it helps you recognize the patterns in your own life that uh, are unusable by God in their present form. And it says, you know what? You also, the other side of that, um, let's just say excessive meanness is a gift. Mm. And the gift is meant for the body, for everyone, not just for you. And it's when you turn it into something just for you that it gets its little zings to it. <laughs> so it's, it's just really a tool for self-awareness that can help us um, partner with the Holy Spirit for change. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's, I think within some Christian traditions, uh, transformation or um, spiritual growth or Christian maturity is much more about what you know than what kind of person you actually mm. are and what it is like to be on the other side of me. How do people experience me? Not, not mm. how much truth do I know, but what is it like to be on the other side of me? And one of the ways the Enneagram has been useful in my life is to be able to say, oh, I have some big <laughs> uh, ways of pushing people's buttons that I just mm -hmm. didn't see I had. And mm -hmm. knowing that is a big help. And in, yeah. our, in our marriage, um, Doug and I, it's been just an enormous, enormous um, grace. And I've been working with the Enneagram since the late 80s. So I've had a number of years with it. And um, I'm very mm -hmm. grateful for, for it. Yeah. Yeah. I know you were the first person to introduce it to me. Um, I didn't know anything about it until we came to Christchurch and you were doing some work with the staff and because Eric was on staff that kind of trickled over to me mm -hmm. and then you and I started having some conversations and you introduced it into lots of circles here. And I love being able to continue that legacy just with the little bit I know about the Enneagram and how I've used it in my own life. But I love that you say it's a transformative tool um, because it is so true. It's not just about about knowing yourself better. It's about how are we transformed more into the image of Jesus. And, and we talk so much here at Deeper Still in our women's ministry and just um, how much, you know, uh, it's not about information. It's about transformation, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so even when we come to, we come to scripture, um, it's not about just what we know and checking off our boxes and answering question number three and getting the right answer. But uh, how are we being transformed? And that question you just asked, what is it like to sit across from me? Wow. That to be is on the question. other side of me. To be on the other side of me. I don't think I want to answer that question, nor do I want anyone else to answer that question. <laughs> Please no one send me an email. Let me know that answer. That is, I mean, that's a soul-shaping question. Wow. Mm -hmm. We wrote this book 
-hmm. because we, you know, we've done hundreds of trainings in the Enneagram with thousands of people. And uh, often they will say to us, what do I do now that I know my number? And as the Enneagram has become quite popular in mm. evangelical circles in the last three years, let's just say, um, we are even more concerned than ever that people do more than know their number. Mm. Because just knowing your number is like being at the door of a palace and not going in. Mm. And just knowing your number can make you dangerous and it can be dangerous to your soul. And so we felt like we would, we wanted to write a book for people who seriously, seriously, seriously want to engage in transformation. They can, here's a tool they can use to help them with self-awareness and gain empathy and understanding for every other number, not just themselves. So it's, I mean, some people look at it and say, well, it's not a beginner book. And in a way, it's not a beginner book. I mean, it helps to have some Enneagram uh, information. But I want to say it's for any beginner who's serious about transformation. It is not a hard book. It's just not in the sense of, oh, I don't understand it. It's, it's a hard book because it asks you hard questions. Yes. Yes. Well, and one of the things I love about it is that it's also very practical. It gives some practical spiritual disciplines. It gives some really um, good handles with what I do with what I now know. That's right. Um, and how do I take a step towards transformation? And so um, share just maybe what one or two of those um, practices are that people can, can um, learn about and take away from this book. So uh, one of the things we've tried to do is uh, for each number, consider the spiritual practices that are, are most transformative for the kind of uh, person that they are. And so for somebody like a, a five, who's um, a lot in their head, feels good with books and studying and research and knowing facts and figures and all that, what would it? What does it look like to take some risks on relationship? What does it look like to integrate your heart with that head knowledge? And, you know, it's there. Here are some breath prayers. Um, here are some uh, prayer exercises. Here is a, a practice like practicing the presence of people. What it would it be like for you? to make one of your spiritual practices not running away from people, but practicing the presence of people when they're, or pick, pick two people to practice the presence of this week, you know, start with a baby step, but to begin to integrate um, the fact that we are to love God with all of us, our, our head intelligence, our heart intelligence and our gut instinct. And so part of it is just a book about integration rather than saying, this is who, who I am. In fact, if, if you only know your number and you think that's who you are, you, you've missed what the Enneagram is about entirely. That's so good. So good. I wish we had, you know, what we're going to have to do is have you back for another episode. <laughs> so we'll have Eric Haskins give the overview and people who don't know their number can start figuring that out. And then we'll have you back to dig into this a little oh, bit more great. because 
yeah, I would love that because I've not really thought about that aspect of, gosh, if you just know your number, that's, it's not enough. Um, so that's another good word. You know, I'm also having this flashback as you're talking of walking to your office one day when you were here on staff at Christchurch and walking in and I interrupted you and I said, I'm so sorry to interrupt. And you turned and you looked at me and you said, you know what? I'm working on practicing the presence of people and people are not in interruptions, they're invitations. And I will never forget that <laughs> moment. You just reminded me, uh, you practice what you preach. And, and that was such a, uh, I had never heard those words before. I had no idea what practicing the presence of people were. And you were the first person to <laughs> not only say those words and teach that to me, but then to model it for me in that moment. <laughs> It's funny what people remember. I, isn't it funny? It is so funny what impacts people. We have no idea. We're just going through our everyday life trying to be faithful. And, Try and, it. You know, that's the stuff that, that sometimes sticks with people. We don't even know it. So, well, Adele, I would love to sit here and talk to you all day. I would love to talk to you about all of this. I feel like you have given us so much uh, to think about, to ponder, to just sit with. I think people who are listening might need to listen to this episode more than once or sit down with <laughs> us. <laughs> I, I, I love that. That's, what we're, that's why we call it deeper still. It's like, you know what? Go a little deeper. Go deeper still. Just when you think you're going deeper, go a little deeper still. And so that's what you did for us today. So I think people are going to need to get maybe a notebook and some pen. I jotted down notes as you were talking, and I know I'm going to go back and refresh some things. So thank you so much for you're so welcome, Sue Ann. It's just been a joy to have you with us today. My pleasure. It was lovely to see your beautiful face. Oh, and go enjoy this new season of your life and your happy Thank last you. day. You <laughs> and Doug, you. go have fun. Enjoy every moment of it. Thanks, Sue Ann. Go oh, with God. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. You too. Bye-bye. Well, friends, as always, thanks for joining the conversation today. I know we covered a lot of ground and we gave you lots to think about. I told you that we would. And so thank you for hanging in there with us. If you want to learn more about any of Adele's books, including Spiritual Rhythms for the Enneagram, if you want to learn more about her ministry of spiritual direction or retreat speaking, or just get to know her a little bit more, if you want to hear more about her and her husband, Doug's new venture, visit them at Cal moonministries.org. We'll be back at it at Deeper Still in two weeks as we welcome back pastor and author Tara Beth Leach to talk about her new book, Radiant Church. Until then, be sure to subscribe to Deeper Still on your favorite podcast platform, share Deeper Still with your friends, follow Christchurch Women on Instagram and Facebook, or even better yet, reach out to me personally via the Christchurch website or on social media and let me know what you thought of today's episode. Alrighty, friends. Well, thanks for taking time out of your busy day to spend some time here with us. If you haven't thought recently about how you might participate more deeply in the story of Jesus, I encourage you to do that today. I promise when you encounter Jesus, you'll never be sorry. So have a great day. Go in God's grace, and we'll see you back here in a couple of weeks.